Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Live from Las Vegas, it's time for you to be Talking Movies with America's most award-winning film critic, John Barber. You're being, John, you're being so gentle. I've heard you give reviews and you're so rough, you're saying. <laughs> How would you have evaluated your own work uh, in some of the films that you did prior to, uh, <laughs> prior to The Longest Shot? I mean, Much like... better than you, my friend. <laughs> Our next guest is one of those rare talents who has something to say and can say it funny. He's a writer-performer on the new Laugh-In and one of the most popular, outspoken, and entertaining personalities on the local news here in Los Angeles. He's won a half a dozen Emmys as a film critic and host of his own shows. Let's welcome Mr. John Barber, right over there. Hi, this is John Barber, and welcome to uh, Talking Movies again. I just love to talk movies, and I love to talk to performers like I'm going to talk to right now. You know, when actors and actresses get into this business, the one thing they worry about is getting a job. Not my guest. She is looking to get a day off, because ever since she set foot on stage in Come Blow My Horn years ago at the Drury Lane in Chicago, she has been looking for a day off because almost right after that, she got to star in a number of soap operas. Then in 1971, she gained international recognition co-starring with Clint Eastwood and play Misty for Me. And then in 1981, she became the must-watch, most-hated bitch on television as Abby and Knott's Landing, for which she won uh, an award for Best Actress, one of many awards that she has won. And like some very talented performers, she is now a very successful producer. So on a rare day off, we have the rare privilege of getting to talk to one of my favorites, the multi-talented, always employed Donna Mills. Donna, welcome to the show and thank you. Thank you, John. It's so nice to see you. Oh, my gosh. It's so delight to talk to you in person. I've been looking at you and listening to you for years and years. Now, Donna, if we were making a movie of your life, I guess it would probably start in Chicago. So could you tell us a little bit about your background, your mother and father, if you have siblings, and maybe was getting into acting one of your early dreams, or did you have another one? No, I had another one. My dream was to be a dancer. Really? And that's how I started out, as a dancer. Yeah, in Chicago. And what inspired you to do that? Was it movies, or was your mother a dancer? Well, actually, my my mother taught, uh, like, ballroom dancing. Uh-huh. Um, so it was kind of in my genes, I guess, but I just, I always loved dance and I started studying when I was five years old, uh, taking ballet classes and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, most kids take ballet class for 
a short time and then then they don't anymore because it's hard. Um, but I loved it. And so I kept on and kept on. And that was my dream to be a dancer. And I worked as a dancer a lot before I became an actress. As a dancer, I presume, tell us about the ones you admired. Obviously, the, the great Eleanor Powell and, you know, Ginger Rogers. But I would imagine Fred Astaire would have been up there with them. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I actually met him once. That was a, such a thrill. Just, you know, a Chasen's when Chasen's was in uh, in California. And that, that was that was very thrilling. But I loved the ballet stars. I loved uh, Barishnikov and Nureyev and uh, Anna Pavlova and, you know, um, people like that, because that's I was, you know, I was on point by the time I was probably 12, 13 something like that. And so um, that was where, and that's why I never grew up kind of being the the girl who goes to the concerts and the rock concerts and stuff like that, because classical music was all I heard. Oh, how interesting. But in come, so how did you happen to end up in come blow your horn? Were you, were you in school productions or college productions? And do you have siblings, brothers and sisters? I do. I have an older brother who I just came back from Colorado. Uh, I went there for a couple of days for his birthday and surprised him, which was really fun and, and nice. Um, just just an older brother. Did he have any interest in the business? Oh, no. Nobody else in my family does. You know, it's, it's I'm kind of the odd odd one out here because there's no other actors or performers of any kind, musicians, nothing. So what led to the, I guess, come blow your horn would have been what they would call a first big break? Yeah, I, I, um, I'd been doing you know, dance. I danced in summer stock and I, you know, in the chorus, um, I danced in the national company, the first national company of My Fair Lady. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. And and other industrial shows and things like you, that in, in Chicago. In "Come Blow Your Horn" and "My Fair Lady," did you have any speaking parts? Oh no! "Come Blow Your Horn" is a play. Yes. So so uh, what happened was I uh, you know I there were no dance auditions to go to. There was nothing casting. There was there were no dance roles or anything or even chorus jobs to go for. So I saw that the Drury Lane Theater was doing this play and I thought, well, I'll go and read for it. I'll never get it, but I'll go and read for it. I did. I got it. Oh my. Um, and then it was like, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I'm doing this. I, I'd done some acting in high school plays, you know, but nothing professional. That was the first professional thing I did. And during rehearsals and that, I wasn't so pleased with it because I missed the movement and the music and the, oh, you know, wow. all that until opening night, really? opening night, when I heard the laughs, cause it's a comedy. Yeah. And I played the funniest part. Oh, how uh, terrific. I heard the laughs and I went, Oh yeah, I get this. <laughs> I like this. That's great. <laughs> and okay, that's so really what set me on that path. Now that, that when you got, the My Fair Lady thing, you hinted that you were just a dancer in that, the road yes. company. Yes. So did how much longer, how how soon after you did the 
come blow your horn did you get that uh well i st- you know i st- i was still dancing i was still studying you know because with dance you never stop um and my my dance teachers um said to me they said you've done this play now you you're not going to be a dancer i said well yes i am that's <laughs> what I want, you know, and they said, no, this bug will bite you and you will go off and be an actress. And and they were right. So it wasn't long after that, because it wasn't long after that, that I went to New York. Well, when you got the My Fair Lady thing, you weren't speaking, you were dancing. Yes, but that was before I did the play. Oh, it was. Oh, I thought Come Blow Your Horn came first in your career. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. Oh, so when no, you and, got... and I did Summer Stock before that. Oh, well, I, I would imagine if you got My Fair Lady first, you must have been thrilled because now you're dancing in this magnificent show. Oh, I was. I was. And traveling all over the country. I did it for, I don't know, probably six months, something like that. I don't remember exactly, but... Yeah. Oh, it was, I was thrilled to get that show. Just thrilled. So it was sort of not a boost for you when you saw that they were holding auditions for Come Blow Your Horn, which is a terrific comedy. And you go down and you get the funniest part and you're, you're bitten by the laugh bug and you go to New York. So what happened when you went to New York? Well, at that time I was still dancing some, you know, I, 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 I'd go for whatever auditions I could go for. And at the time, I didn't even have an agent. So I'd look in the backstage newspaper and uh, go to whatever auditions there were. So I did, I did some dancing while I was still there. There was, while I was in New York, um, industrial shows and stuff like that. You know, they used to do industrial shows that were staged like Broadway shows, except the star was the car. um, but there was chorus dancers and big productions and and that's how they would introduce the new car for that year um and they those paid very well too they paid better than broadway or anything else then um i got a the understudy uh in um woody allen's play don't drink the water Yes, I remember that. So I pl- I played the Sultan's wife, which was really fun because I had no lines and I had like a whole thing on. You never saw anything but my eyes. Did you um, get that on your own, or did, by this time did you have an agent? I oh, I, that's a good question. Uh, because the one thing I must say, Donna, is I'm disappointed in a few of the really big stars that I've talked to who have become very, very successful like yourself. And they're very reluctant to either mention an agent or a manager who has ever helped them in their careers. But I personally, I've known, you probably heard the name Jack Rollins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was by far the most creative manager in New York. And without him, there's no Woody Allen and there's no... Harry Belafonte. So I'm always curious to ask people like yourself who are successful about their experiences with agents and did one help you more than another? Yeah, I had a cut. Well, I've been very um, loyal to my agents. I had the same agent for that I got that, that got I got in New York. 
um, a man by the name of Joel Dean. And uh, he was my agent for years and years and years. But the interesting thing right now is, um, and I had a manager during the 80s when I was doing knots and, and all that. I had a manager by the name of Larry Thompson. And I recently rehired him. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. and he's, you know, he's done, he's been manager to, to many, many stars, but probably the, the most recognizable is Bill Shatner. He's been, oh. had Bill Shatner for 40 years. Oh my gosh. Is that fabulous? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And he's just, he's wonderful. And I, and I just, I called him not too long ago, maybe six months ago. And I said, Blair, would you be interested in being my manager again? He said, well, I don't know. Let's meet and talk about it. And we did and got on as well as we had ever, you know, we oh, were well, always, you know, just clicked together. Good, good for you because you probably needed a manager to help get a day off. <laughs> you know, you need to be okay now you do the Woody Allen thing and it wasn't long after that that you got into soap operas how right. did that happen and what was the first one the first one was one called Secret Storm oh yes and I played a character by the name of Rocket <laughs> that was her only name Rocket and, and she was a nightclub singer and having been a dancer, I sang, but I sang like dancers sing, not very well. Um, and but they had me singing on the show, and that it was insane that they even hired me. But that was my first. That was my first soap opera. Well, you were, you're great to look at, and you probably moved great when you were singing. <laughs> and, and how long were you on Secret Storm? I think Secret Storm was probably about a year. I don't remember exactly. But then not long after that, I got Love is a Many Splendid Thing. Oh, yes. That was a biggie. And that was a biggie because it was a new soap that they were just putting on the air. And that was a big deal to put a new soap on the air. Did they come looking for you or did you go looking for that job? I believe that I read for it. You know, I auditioned for it. I, they may have seen me in in um, Secret Storm. I don't know, but I but I I think I did audition and and got it. Well, that brings me to uh, the thing that uh, first struck me. I mean, I'd seen you in some of these when I was a whole lot younger in a television junkie, but I really didn't notice you uh, and the power of your performance until I saw play Misty for me. How did that come about? That's a really interesting story. I was doing um, Love is Many Splendid Thing in New York. And when they wanted me to sign it, I think I signed originally for two years or something like that. And then they wanted me to sign for another year. And I said, um, okay, I'll sign for another year, but you have to give me nighttime guest shots out in California. Okay, we'll put that in part of your contract. So they did. And one of the guest shots that I went out to do was Dan August with um, um, Burt Reynolds. And uh, which went great. 
we, it was really good and everything. And I got back to New York and I was going to leave the soap anyway, because I didn't, I didn't want to stay on that. I wanted to do other things. But then I get a call that says, you got this movie with Clint Eastwood. And I went, what? <laughs> How did that happen? Apparently, Clint and Bert met up one night in a bar and, you know, Clint's saying, I can't find that girl for this movie I'm doing. I, I, I haven't found anybody I like. And Bert said, well, I just worked with this girl from New York. Maybe you'd like her. Showed him the dailies. And he hired me right from that. Oh, my gosh. Is that wonderful? Now, I think that might have been Clint's first job as a director. It was. Were you a little apprehensive about, even though he was he, he was a, a successful spaghetti western star, were you a little apprehensive about putting your hand, putting yourself and your talents in the hands of a neophyte director who was just in westerns? Nope, <laughs> I was just thrilled to get a movie. Really, um, I was thrilled to work with Clint Eastwood. He was a huge star. Uh, and I figure he's probably a good director. They wouldn't be giving him all this money and, you know, everything to, to do this movie. And, and I never met him before the night before we started shooting. Wow. In the bar in the hotel. They said, go down to the bar. Clint's there. <laughs> I said, okay. And I went and I met him. Um, and he was, he's divine. I mean, he's such a gentleman and such a sweet guy. Um, so I, I, ne- it, it, I was never nervous about anything because he was, he just seemed in control and he knew what he was doing. Well, it seems to be evident because of stories I get from some of the actors who work with him. He was a lot like Sinatra as an actor, hated to do retakes, you know, do it once and I'm done. And evidently Clint Eastwood doesn't do a lot of retakes. No. No, and he doesn't do a lot of directing of the actors. You know, he knows what he wants. Video, I mean, not video, vision, you know, visually, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what he does is he hires actors that he feels are really right for the role and really know what to do with the role. And then just kind of lets them go with it. I was I was stunned, quite frankly, because you were absolutely terrific in this in the film, and you just leapt off of the camera. Loves you as you, we can see now, and still does. I was stunned that you didn't do more films. It's like you went right back into television. Oh, well, I did. I got a series right after that, um, but it was you know it was one of those things. That's what happened. I started getting television. I wasn't going to turn it down and wait for my film career to (laughs) to take off, you know. Um, And Play Misty for me wasn't a huge hit. Are you kidding? No. I mean, it's like a cult classic now. And the movie holds up. Um, But it wasn't at the time. I think the audience didn't, they wanted to see him being Mr., you know. Ah, macho guy and and he wasn't so much in this movie and i don't think the the public was so keen on that 
in, in the meantime, the movie has lasted and has become a cult classic, but at the time it wasn't so huge. So it, it, it didn't really do a whole lot for my movie career. I kind of had to go and make my television career. The uh, series was called what? I think it lasted five years. What, uh, Knott's Landing? No, no, that lasted forever. I mean, before Knott's Landing, after after Play Misty, you got into it, you were offered your own series. Oh, right. That was a comedy series with Larry Hagman called The Good Life. Yes. And yeah. that lasted about five years? No, it lasted one year. Honest to God? Yeah. It, and it was really good. It was David, uh, um, Hermione Badley and David... I can't think of his last name. Anyway, it was it was really good, but it was on opposite all in the family. Oh my God, you didn't have a chance. Yeah. That's so good. you know, it didn't get the ratings that they wanted, of course. And it's instead of moving it, which is what they should have done, they they didn't. And so anyway, okay, it was so a you, great experience. You do, that, you do that for a year, and it's a really good show. It's funny, I've had. Because I've always been a fan of Larry's. I, I thought it was on for, for like five years. So yeah. my mistake, because the memory of the good work that he did stayed with me. Now, you leave that. Did, did it take long to get your next job? And did you ever think maybe you didn't want to be in this business? Or will I last in this business? Did you ever have any doubts about it? Not really, because it's what I wanted to do. You know, I mean, there were times when, you know, I didn't get every job that I auditioned for or that I wanted or or that. And, you know, I'd be disappointed sometimes. But I got enough things that I kept working all the time. I was doing guest shots. I was doing movies of the week. I was doing movies for television in England. Um, you know, I worked a lot. You certainly did. Yeah. Uh, it, and how did not landing come about? I'm sure you wouldn't have had to have re- read for that. I'm sure they came searching for you. Well, no. See, that's the thing. I saw the breakdown on my, my agent's desk about the part. And I said, that I want that part. That's the part I want. And he said, well, I don't know. I'll call them up. He called them up and they said, oh, yeah, we know Donna. She's great. She didn't have to come and read for us. We know her. I said, I want to go in and read for them. They will not hire me for this role unless I go and What role are you pointing at? What? What role are you pointing at that you said, that's the one I want? Was that Abby? Yes. Oh. Oh, yeah. And And why Abby? Now, I just want to add this, because I must tell you, in all of theater, in all the plays, and all the movies, often the most interesting character is the villain. It's the one with the most d- d- dimension. You had never played that kind of character, so why were you pointing at Abby? Because I never played it. Because ah. I never had that, but I knew I could do it. And I knew it was a lot more interesting than the goody two-shoes that I was playing and the victims. I didn't like playing victims all the time. And I didn't think that was a good, a good message to send out to women. You know, victim, victim, victim. So You thought, you thought being a bitch was a better message? Yes, wow. I did. You, 
And you, women loved it. They did, because you were just terrific. Thank you. And that, that uh, you had, I think, had also won some awards before you got the award for Outstanding Actress. Did they specify that you were an Outstanding Actress because you were a great villain or just a great actress? Well, most of the awards that I got then were for a vixen. I was the best vixen on television. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which was funny and fun. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, and and when I went into read, I, I knew I had to read. I knew they would not. They'd say, oh, yeah, we like Donna and everything. like, But they wouldn't hire me for that role, unless I went in and, and proved it. And my, my agent had to beg them to let me come in and read. Oh my goodness. Which I did. And an hour after I left that reading, they called and said, she's got it. Oh, is that wonderful. Yeah. And that lasted what, eight or nine years? I was on it nine years. The show was on for 14 years. Yeah. And why did you leave then? I left... For a number of reasons. First of all, I was producing movies for television at the time. And um, it was really hard to do the series and fit in doing a movie for television or two, you know, uh, in the off time. Could Um, I interrupt you for a second? Why did you become a producer? Because there have been a couple of really excellent actresses. And you were their equals. One of them, when I was younger, I really admired was Ida Lupino. And Ida became just a fabulous director. You obviously have that talent. Why didn't you go in that direction? And why did you go into producing? I didn't feel that I really had the talent or the knowledge to be a director. I didn't know the camera well enough. I didn't know... I just didn't, it it didn't, I didn't think I had the chops to do that. But producing I did, because producing I I felt I had taste in material. I had taste in hiring people to do things, directors and actors and set designers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, So that appealed to me much more. And, And bringing along a script, you know, working the script, you know, rewrites, you know, notes, all those kind of things. I liked that, that part of the business. Who, who were the, who were the most interesting men you worked with and who were the most interesting women you worked with? And if you wouldn't mind later on telling me a couple that were the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the reason I bring that up is because I had a long, long interview with, James Mason, who was just a magnificent actor. And I guess it was toward the end of Marlon Brando's career. James said publicly, I don't want to ever work with that man again. He's too lazy to memorize his lines. He reads off of cue cards. He overeats. I mean, he really he really tore him apart. But Marlon is, in some respects, a magnificent actor. You worked with a lot of truly interesting talents. I would like to know about some of the ones you were most impressed with and some you might've been the least impressed with. (laughs) I'm lucky in that that I I don't, I don't really have, you know, like bad experiences uh, 
with with actors. But I have, you know, I've worked with a lot of really fine actors. The actors are nuts. I mean, Bill Devane <laughs> and Ted Shackelford, wonderful, wonderful actors. Um, you know, I worked with, um, no, I'm not gonna think of, be able to think of the same. Who's Barbara Streisand married to? Elliot Gould, he was uh, uh, the no, first no, husband. No. Oh, I know. Oh, God. I forget his name. He's a very nice fellow, too. Yes, and his son is a, is a wonderful actor, too. But I worked with him in, in a movie for television before he ever became, you know, what became Barbara Streisand's husband. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of actors that, like Howard Duff. We oh, Howard. oh my God! Yeah, yes. nuts. Yes, a great voice. How about the women? What uh, the most interesting, and maybe one that surprised you with her generosity as an actress. Do you know who I loved working with? Not her generosity so much, but Ava Gardner. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, oh. she was. What I loved about her was she was abroad. You know, she oh, was just gosh, like, yes, she was. And yeah, what were you working? What did you work with her on? Knots. She was on Knots. She guessed it on it. Yeah, she played Bill Devane's Bill Devane's mother. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. And how, how long did she stay with the show? Oh, she was on at least two or three years. Oh my God. Maybe more. I don't know exact. I don't remember exactly. And also, I got to work with Julie Harris. Oh, I mean, you don't get much better than that. Yes, that's for sure. So yeah. when becoming a producer, did you begin to produce products because uh, you ran across a great story that you think should have been told? Or were you producing it as an actress who said, I would like to be in this? No, I... I had to be in them because the deals that I made with the networks, I mean, that was the, that was the, the, the thing. They wanted me to be in it. That's why they gave me the deal. They didn't give me the deal because I was such a great producer. <laughs> they gave me the deal because I would be in it. Um, but I really, there were stories I wanted to tell. There were things, a lot of things in those days, I think the one of the first ones I did was called uh, Runaway Father. And it was about a deadbeat dad who, you know, the woman went and found him like 17 years later and made him pay. Um, but I liked those kind of stories where, where women were strong and, you know, came out on top and stuff like that. And so there, and there were, a number of stories like that that I wanted to tell and um so and, and I also wanted to have control over the final product as an actor when you're in a film there's so much that you don't control you know you don't control the editing you don't control the look of the film well, as a performer and as a person you come across as somebody who never needed an agent or a manager that you were entirely self-motivated and you know what you want so evidently you had the appearance of being a very very strong and famous woman did that make it difficult for you when you wanted to date men <laughs> no 
Why is giggling? <laughs> no, I, you know, I mean, but I think, you know, everybody talks about the, the Me Too movement and everything now and how, and, and early on in my career, I experienced a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. um, but once, mostly once I played Abby, nobody'd mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> they were afraid. Well, you know, the one thing that sort of disappointed me about the Me Too movement, I think when millions of women were taking to the streets a few years ago, being led by Hollywood actresses, is that it shouldn't have been called Me Too. It should have been called We Too, because honest to God, women are meant to be with men. Okay, that's how sort of nature designed us and the and the thing is not one of these actresses who was well known or famous ever meant it you know they never spoke up against uh, uh, America's foreign affairs and their involvement in fake wars they never did anything to bring attention to the fact that the country was doing that it was just that the country was doing bad things to women and yet one of the greatest plays in history is uh, Euripides. And he has the uh, woman in Euripides trying to stop the Peloponnesian Wars. And he says, the way to stop the wars, ladies, is to not sleep with the men. So I was, <laughs> I was a little dis... And they, and they did that and they stopped the wars. We don't hear that now. But back to the business. Because I when I told a couple of my... Uh, friends that you were going to be on the show they said my god that lady is still stunning who she married to so <laughs> tell me about your husband because everybody wants to know that I play golf with well I don't have one I I, I have a guy I mean we've been together for 20 two years now I think oh my god and he's like but we've never gotten married oh you know what you should do now? You should star on that play same time next year. <laughs> Are you familiar with the play? Right, oh, yes. Oh, my God, yes. It's about a, a, a couple that meet. They're married to others, and they meet, and they just have a great encounter and decide to do it for the next however. And it goes on for like 20 years. It's a fabulous play and a fabulous movie. That's Right up your alley. So tell <laughs> yes. me, so tell me yeah. how, what's his name? How did you meet him? What does he do? And how how did this arrangement come about? Because it seems to be perfect. Yeah, well, it is. It, it works for, for both of us. Um, I, and I've always been so independent that I marriage never, you know, most girls dream about their wedding day and, you know, all this, and I never did. I it never appealed to me. The thought of children. Um, but anyway, his name is what? The thought of children never appealed to you. Yeah. Oh, I have a child. I have a, a a daughter that I adopted. Oh, good for you, because Katie Hepburn said that no actress should ever have a child. But that's wonderful. How old is she, and what does she do? She's now twenty-seven. Uh huh. Oh, um, she's a model. Um, and she also works, um, she, 
I don't know how to say. She handles all the under 27s at Soho House in Malibu. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay, now let's get back to your living. I hate that expression. <laughs> no. what, what, what is his name? And what His name is do? Larry Gilman. And uh, he's terrific. He was an actor back when. Uh, he's directed also. But what he does now is he has a... Um, um, a seminar that he teaches all over the world called the mastery of self-expression. And he goes all over the world. He's in Germany right now. He was in uh, uh, Bangkok two weeks ago. Uh, he, he goes all over the world and he does this weekend long seminar and, and really works with people on, on bringing them out and, and other cultures really like it because a lot of cultures are kind of closed, you uh, know, and he kind of brings people out and very, very American. How did you meet? Uh, what were the first dates like? How did you <laughs> come to this conclusion that you would be better off as a couple? And then how interesting that somebody in your profession gets into what I guess is called an inspired public speaking because that's what it is that he does now how did that happen for him and well another thing that he does is he works corporately to to work with people when they're going to give presentations or speeches or depositions or or anything like that he works his brother has a company who does that kind of stuff anyway i was going to be doing uh i was going to be representing a product um, a, a, a drug, like a, a anti-inflammatory drug. And um, so they said, well, you probably should have some media training. And I went, really? I've done like 500 interviews. Why would I want media training? And I said, well, it's different when you're representing a product, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, okay. And lo and behold, he was the trainer. Oh my gosh. How yeah. And we just, we hit it off right away. So you date, how long did you date before you decided that you weren't going to get married, but you were going to be lifelong partners? Yeah. Probably only about six months or so. I mean, I think we kind of knew right from the beginning you know, uh, it was just a matter of, you know, where we're going to, he had a house and, and I had a house and we, so we just, you know, had to decide where we were going to live and, and stuff like that. But it just, yeah, it, it it's one of those things that just clicked. Oh, is it, now at that, did you adopt after, well, you must have adopted before that. I did. I, I adopted uh, my daughter, like she was, I think, six or something like that when when uh when I met him when what compelled you to compel a girl when she was when she, instead of a boy and why did you adopt when you were single and did you have problems with that no not at all i adopted because i wanted to be a mother oh um, God. and i and i I thought I would, because I was single and I was alone, uh, I would be better at raising a girl than a boy. Um, I think a 
boy particularly needs to have a father around and that time mm -hmm. I didn't have a guy so and I didn't know if I ever would so I I, I th thought a girl would be better and and it and it worked out really wonderfully she's a wonderful child um yeah. child at this point in your life you could almost do anything you want what is it you would like to do most for the rest of your life or for the next few years I want to continue acting. I love it. I, you know, I, I kind of stopped for the, for about 18 years while she was growing up. The first couple of years that I had her, I would take, I would do a movie or something and I would take her on location with me. But when she started school, which she started when she was three or four, um, I didn't want to go out of town. I, I didn't want to leave her for a month at a time, two months at a time, whatever. And, and so I just kind of stopped working because I wanted to. Um, and, and I wanted to be a mother. I wanted that experience. I wanted to know what that felt like. And I wanted to be able to be a good mother to her. Um, so um, and then, you know, once she went off to college, I was like, oh, Okay, uh, yeah. what am I going to do now? <laughs> and I started back, I started doing, I did a soap, I did General Hospital for a while, I did a little reality show, I did a lot of independent movies and stuff. And and what, what a lot of, when you say a lot, you know, a lot of it is sort of the same thing, but has anyone ever said to you, Donna, you should do a one-woman show because you have the stature to do it, you have the personality to do it, and my God, your living is set the perfect example. I mean, he's going out and doing these great motivational speeches. There is nothing to me more wonderful than a perfect one-person show, man or woman. I mean, when Hal Holbrook did Mark Twain Tonight, I saw it five times. Mm. Standing ovation. Of course, he had the greatest writer in the world. But I must tell you something, Donna. You have the personality to and the balls to be able to do something like that, truthfully. I never thought of doing a one-woman show, and no, no one's ever suggested that to me, to be honest. What I want to be able to do is to be an inspiration to women. An inspiration in that, you know, when you reach a certain age, it's not over. Yes, but you know what? If you find, listen, I could suggest a half a dozen great names of inspiring women to you that you could all, you could do a one woman show about. And I'm telling you, you're cut out to do that. You have so much inner strength. You're like your own, your own boss. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about the changes that you have seen in the business that you're in. I mean, we grew up when motion picture studios ran everything. And now the motion picture studios have gone away. We grew up when I think the last great years of television were shows like All in the Family and Real People, uh, my show. But that was the last great years of television. Television is so different now. My son just finished doing an eight-part series for Netflix. 
which just lost 250,000 subscribers. And it came on on January 29th at birthday. It's called In From The Cold. Really good show. And they never picked it up. And he said to me, Dad, I'm sort of glad. I said, why? He said, because, you know, when I was doing Criminal Minds, he was co-executive producer of Criminal Minds and one of the writers. He said, you know, they paid me. And then when it would go into rerun, I'd get checks, but not with outfits like Netflix or HBO or any of these people. You do it and it's all over with. So what do you feel about the changes that you see and what do you see next for this business and for you? Mm. Well, the changes, uh, you know, they're, they're obvious, they're evident. I, I think it's kind of a shame um, because it's kind of spreads out so much the audience that, I mean, on Knots Landing, for example, we'd get 80 million viewers in one, one evening. Yes. You know, nobody gets that any. I don't even think the Super Bowl gets that. No. It, it just doesn't happen anymore. So it's all kind of spread out among so many shows and so many platforms. And so, and also the fact that you can just watch it anytime you want to um, makes it less special. Makes the, the, the show, I mean, people would, around Knott's Landing, they would have people over, they would talk about it the next day, they would, you know, it was appointment television, and they looked forward to it. You know, they looked forward to just to, to that Thursday night fun that they were going to have. Um, and I think it's too bad that that doesn't exist anymore. And I don't know where the, where the business is going. I really don't, because... I, I like I said, the platforms are are so many that I think it's it's watered everything down, and I, I just don't I don't know I don't feel the same about the business that I used to. Yes, you know because I feel like you do that there's almost nothing to look forward to, which means there is nothing special, and where are these magnificent talents going to? come from and my son pointed out to me said john uh, dad i must tell you everybody can be a movie maker now because of the phones and he pointed out the fact did you ever see a documentary called searching for sugar man Mm -mm. oh i must tell you oh donna you would love it love it love it it is by far the greatest documentary ever made about anybody in our business and uh, a young man in uh, Switzerland, uh, he was in his early 30s, he had some money, and he got bored because he f- could find nothing like you to watch or that interested him. So he took his camera and started to travel around the world, and he ended up in South Africa. And in every store he went into in South Africa, he heard this American, a ta- uh, Mexican-American singing this one song. And he asked a producer, a music producer, why do I keep hearing that song? And the producer said, this is our anthem. It's like Martin Luther King had, we shall overcome. During apartheid, this became our answer. So he tracked down the singer and he had recorded it in the early 60s and could never work again. He was out of work. He became a bricklayer. 
And he tracked him down and eventually took him, uh, his name is Rodriguez, and his two daughters to South Africa five years ago. And 25,000 people met him at the airport. He did five and 60 minutes, picked up the story. He goes around the world now. He's in his 70s playing and singing as well as ever. You must watch it. It's called Searching for Sugar Man. But he shot it on his phone. Oh, Oh my gosh, Angel, you will just love, it'll move you and it will inspire you to to no end. And the other, the second favorite uh, perfect documentary about somebody in our business, uh, I did for Showtime, it's called uh, Ernie Kovacs Television's Original Genius, because when he uh, divorced his wife, he was a person in America to gain custody of the children in a divorce fight. And then his wife kidnapped the children. So while he's trying to entertain America for two years, he's looking for his uh, daughters. So if you get a chance to see that too, also. Yeah. Uh, uh, what are you working on now? Have you written a book about your life? <laughs> no, I, uh, I actually started to write, uh, started with a writer to write a book a number of years ago, and I had someone, a pub a, a editor who wanted to publish it and stuff like that. And um, she got into a terrible car accident and couldn't oh, work really? anymore. And then the writer died. So <laughs> I, I kind of gave up on the idea uh, of the book. Um, you know, I, I, I might do it someday. I, I don't know. You should. You should. But... Honest to God, I must tell you, you are a very compelling actress. You're a very bright woman, a very compelling speaker. You look great. You would be phenomenal doing a one-woman show. And I'm going to send you a list of four or five women that you could research. I must tell you, there are so many fabulous stories out there that are not being told and as a woman and a successful actress and producer, you're certainly in a position to yeah. do that. And I want to tell you, too, I do have a, a movie coming out in July. Um, uh, it's Jordan Peele's new movie. Uh, who so is I, Jordan Peele? Jordan Peele? Yes, I'm sorry. I don't know. He the name. won the Academy Award for directing Get Out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and, and what's this film called? Nope. N-O-P-E? Yep. And can you give us a hint at the print for somebody saying nope? I mean, like you and your living said nope to marriage. <laughs> right, yes. Nope to a lot that has nothing to do with this. Well, strangely enough, I had to sign an ND. He's very secretive about his movies. And uh, I had to sign an NDA, so I cannot tell you what the movie's about. There's been all kinds, because they finally dropped the posters and, you know, all that kind of stuff is coming out. So everybody's like trying to guess what it's about. Um, But I'm, I'm, I can't say. Oh, okay. So how would somebody, this secretive about his work, all of a sudden get the opportunity or the money to make a film because he's already he won you say an oscar for a film mm-hmm. and yeah. 
he, that obviously wasn't his first film, or was it? No, no, it wasn't his first, but it was one of his first. He wasn't that he wasn't that well known. You never saw Get Out. Oh no, no, I I, I don't go to the. Listen, I was a critic for 10 years at Los Angeles Magazine. I know. And five years at NBC. I just stopped going. I just stopped going to movies. And it's one of my best friends in the business was Neil Simon, who did the liner notes on one of my uh, comedy albums. And I had it just torn him to shreds because of the way he miscast the Sunshine Boys with two really good uh, actors, Walter Matthau and George Burns, but the chemist, it was all wrong. And he should have used Jack Albertson and Sam Levine, who were the original stars on Broadway and really Jews. And I accused him of trying to Presbyterianize his cast when he's, I said, if Shakespeare got residuals, he wouldn't equal the amount of money that Neil has made. So when I decided I couldn't do this anymore, when I started Real People, he called me up. He said, John, you can't quit. Who's going to tell the emperors that there were, of this business that they're wearing no clothing? And I said, Neil, I have just run out of ways to say it's a piece of shit. So that, that was it with movies. So I don't see them when once in a while I will watch it. But you said it's called Getaway. Is Getaway? That- yeah, the one that the, your friend won an Oscar for. What's it called? Get Out. Oh, Get Out. Okay, forgive right. me. I will watch. How old is he? Where does old he come he? from? Yeah. Um, boy, I, I don't really know. I would imagine in his 40s. Was he an actor? Was he a writer? No, he, 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 did, he did a comedy series with a partner. I forget the partner's name. And he's he he's done a couple of other movies. There's another movie called I think it was called Us. I'm not sure. Oh, that one sounds very familiar. Yeah, I love that. He just said loves the shortest titles. Bradley yeah. is the soul of wit, isn't it? Yeah, that? and 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 he's but he's and when you see the movie, no, you'll understand why he didn't want anybody to know about. It. When I auditioned for him, I did a, a Zoom. You know, not a Zoom, but a, a self-tape audition. Yes. And they sent me, you know, the sides that I'm supposed to do. And I look at them and I went, well, this is weird. This is from Blue Jasmine. This, oh. What is it? And so I, I asked them, I said, what, what? They said, well, he doesn't want anybody to see his script yet. Oh, my God. That is wonderful. Yeah. Do you think I could get a hold of him and have... He'd be so interesting to interview. Oh, yes. He's a really interesting guy. Oh, my God. I would love that. And I would love it if you could somehow send me an email address because I would just, I would love to talk about somebody that original, trying to do original good work in America today, either in television or film. This is is his first deal with Universal. He made a huge deal with Universal. This is a big, 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 expensive movie. Oh, well, good for him and good for you. And Donna, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. I've been a huge fan for a long, long time. And I must tell you, you look better than I imagine. And you sound better than I imagine. 
And I just hope someday I bump into you in person and could hug you, okay? <laughs> I hope so, too. Well, you have a wonderful day, dear. Great thank day. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. Okay, dear. Okay. And next, uh, Talking Movies, we're going to have a really, really interesting fellow. His name is Stu Shostak. It's probably the third best documentary I've ever seen about anybody in show business. Not only is Stu the only American who preserves classic television, this story is one of the greatest love stories that I have ever run across. And it's a magnificent public service because it exposes this dreadful medical industry that we have in the United States. So, Thanks again to Donna Mills. Thanks to you for watching, and we'll see you in two weeks on another Talking Movies.